The reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, starting at chapter 3. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Here ends the first lesson. The Holy Gospel is written in the uh, second chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. As we turn to the Lord's word, let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, may your word be our rule. 
your spirit, our teacher, and your greater glory, our supreme concern. Amen. Well, I hope you thought from our readings this morning that the birth, the life, and particularly the death of the Lord Jesus is God's solution to a fractured and an alienated world and how we need such a solution. We live in a world that is being torn apart along racial and religious class and financial fault lines. A glimpse of the evening news or the morning papers is enough to confirm that we are a divided nation in a divided world. And we don't just see those divisions manifest at the level of international relations. We also see it manifest in our everyday personal relationships too, the rivalries and the squabbles in the home and in the office. Newspapers, it seems to me, always run stories in the new year reporting the rise in family breakdowns over Christmas as families have to share each other's company for prolonged periods of time. And the cause of this hostility and alienation, of course, the Bible teaches, is this dividing barrier of hostility that humanity has erected between itself and God, or sin, as the Bible calls it, this sinful self-centeredness that alienates people from God and others alike. An endless cycle of hostility and division. That is the fate of the world, or at least it would have been if it wasn't for that first Christmas day. The point, of course, is that the arrival of the Magi to worship the Messiah born in a manger signals the beginning of the fulfillment of God's plan to create a new, united human society in the midst of the ruins of the old. A society where our differences do not divide, but rather harmonize. It was a plan that had been promised, of course, to the patriarch Abraham, who was told that one day all peoples on the earth would be blessed through him. It was a plan proclaimed by the prophets. You remember the words of Isaiah who spoke of the servant who was to come, for whom it would be too small a thing for him to be his servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's a plan that we see brought to perfect completion at the end of time in the vision of John in the book of Revelation. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And that in-gathering of the nations begins at the very birth of God's Messiah. The radical inclusivity and heterogeneity of this new society is exemplified by the first visitors to the stable, Jewish shepherds and Gentile stargazers, chalk and cheese, different races, different classes, different intellectual backgrounds and capacities, historic enemies, and yet both drawn by God to God's Christ. And as the collect reminds us, both united in adoration of the baby Jesus. It alerts us, doesn't it, that this Jesus will be the agent through whom God will reconcile people to himself and thereby reconcile them to each other. God will draw people from every tribe, nation, tongue, people, language to his son. And he will bear their sin 
and bring them back to God and one another? How do you unite people who all believe that they are at the center of the universe? Well, you do it by drawing them away from their self-centeredness and drawing them to Christ, who is the center of the universe. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his work of reconciliation is the only hope for our fractured world. And so, says Paul in our first reading, with the coming of Jesus, the mystery of how God would fulfill his plan to unite the world, even historic enemies, Jew and Gentile, to each other has been revealed. It is the gospel that makes Gentiles as well as Jews heirs of God's kingdom and brothers and sisters of one another. And that leaves us with a responsibility, Paul says. Verse 10 of our reading this morning, Paul writes this, his, that is God's intent, was that now through the church, through this new society, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. In other words, God's wisdom in sending his son to reconcile the world is demonstrated by the church. It's demonstrated by us gathered here this morning. The gathering of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, down through the centuries into the church is proof positive that the gospel, God's plan for worldwide reconciliation, is wise, that it works. John Stott, writing on Ephesians, uh, explains what the word manifold means when he talks about the church as the manifold wisdom of God. He says this, the word translated manifold means literally many-colored and was used to describe flowers and embroidered cloth. The church as a multiracial, multicultural community is like a beautiful tapestry. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique and it stands as a display of God's wisdom. How then should we live? Well, we should live as those for whom unity is as much a priority as it is for God. There are plenty of differences which, apart from Christ, we could turn into division and hostility. Different nationalities, different skin colors, different races, different jobs, different incomes, different accents, different races, different education, different tastes and preferences, different opinions about things in the Christian life. The nature of sin that dwells in us, of course, is to seize on those differences and to turn them into division and hostility. But if God has drawn us, like the shepherds and the magi, to Christ, then what we have in common far outweighs our differences. And our adoration of the Christ must surely express itself in every effort to keep the unity and the peace that he died to win for us. Such a unity honors Christ, the peacemaker, and displays God's wisdom to a watching world. And I finish with, again, some more words from John Stott, who, of course, died recently and did so much in his life to foster the cause of Christian unity. He wrote this. I wonder if anything is more urgent today for the honor of Christ and for the spread of the gospel that the church should be and should be seen to be what by God's purpose and Christ's achievement it already is, a single new humanity, a model of human community, 
a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their Heavenly Father and love each other. The evident dwelling place of God by His Spirit. Only then will the world believe in Christ as peacemaker. Only then will God receive the glory due to His name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again as we have this uh, period of Christmas for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great peacemaker, the one who will, on that first Easter day, reconcile men and women to you and thereby reconcile us to each other. We thank you that at his birth, the Magi came from the East, the Gentiles were drawn to him. We thank you that you have been uh, continued that work down through the centuries, drawing men and women and children from every tribe, tongue, and nation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. Your great plan is to build a new united humanity. We thank you that you have drawn us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that we here at St. Andrew's, as a little part of your worldwide church, would uh, strive to be united, to live out the unity that the Lord Jesus has won for us, that we would put our differences to one side, that we would not let them cause division, that rather our differences would be used to cohere and harmonize, that we would show to a watching, fractured world the peace that Christ brings. And we pray these things in his great name. Amen. Amen.